The first perfect game, no-hitter of the year, took place last night as Yankee pitcher Domingo Herman etched his name into the record books with a perfecto in Oakland. Plus, Mets owner Steve Cohen is no George Steinbrenner, and that's a good thing. And Shohei Otani is looking like his 2021 MVP self. Could a Cy Young Award also be part of his trophy case when it's all said and done? Round one of the NHL draft was last night. Why is there no buzz outside of the hockey world when a potential transcendent player is sitting at number one in Connor Bedard? Gearing up for all the rumors and possible trades as NBA free agency begins this weekend. And some more suspensions on the way in the NFL as gambling bans to some players are expected shortly. Closing out another month and the first half of 2023 in rapid fire, unapologetic sports talk fashion. It's all coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast. On wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People reading. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Two days until July as we get ready to kick off the latter half of this calendar year. Can you imagine? We're already getting ready to prepare for the second half, third quarter of 2023. Where does it all go? I don't know, but it's a big giant blur going right in front of us. So as I like to say from time to time... Got to stay present, people. Stay in the moment. Don't look too far ahead because before you know it, it's going to come and go like the speed of sound, speed of whatever it may be. But with all that said, a holiday weekend is also on the horizon. There'll be plenty of early fireworks here as the latest edition of the podcast is coming up as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday... I welcome you guys and gals back, and as we inch closer to July 1st, and a lot of the talk is going to surround baseball, as we've been discussing here over the last week or so, and last night, you had a moment in Oakland, and I get it, they're the A's, and they're 21-61, and 61, on a pace to eclipse the Met record of 40-120, and 120. so if the first half is similar to what we see in the second half of Oakland, they will not be the worst team in the history of the sport, which goes back, what, 152 years? But you had Domingo Herman, the Yankee starter, who has had a turbulent year, to say the least, has actually had a terrible June, coming off the heels of a 10-game suspension due to sticky substances. I believe that was in 
Toronto when that took place. What was that, late last month, maybe even early this month. But he's had a very up and down career, more down than up. He's had his moments to where one year he won 18 games, but then had the issue with the domestic dispute, which warranted a suspension. And who knew if he was actually going to be back into the rotation going back a couple of years ago. And now that he's been a fixture, and like I said, wildly inconsistent. But last night, 99 pitches, 9 strikeouts, 27 up, 27 down to become the fourth Yankee pitcher in the history of their illustrious franchise, which I'm already sick to see no hitters and perfect games. We've seen David Cohn, we've seen David Wells, Don Larson in the World Series back in 1956, and now Domingo Herman is part of Yankee lore to go along with 24 other pitchers in the history of the sport to throw a perfect game. And we could talk about Oakland all we want, how terrible they are, how they're just one of the most awful run franchises that we've seen here over the last couple of years. And even though they had had success going back just a few short years ago, then making it to the postseason, winning 97 games, wild cards, things of that nature. But as we all know, they have really fallen on hard times. They're going to move to Vegas. And I get it. We could say that it was the A's and Jay Reels could have pitched against them and possibly could have thrown, if not a perfect game, certainly a no-hitter. But that's a major league team. No matter if they're all AAA players or you have retreads or you have guys that don't belong in the majors, that's still a major league lineup. And they beat the Yankees the night before. They're 2-1. to one. So for them to just go out gracefully against Domingo Herman, looking like he was Whitey Ford or maybe even David Cohn in this particular case since he was a right-handed pitcher. And the Yankees get themselves back on track to win a game in Oakland where they have the rubber match there later this afternoon. And as I talked about Herman, if this could be a springboard for him to get into the second half of this year to propel him with some confidence, and not only that, but to get that form that he once had when he did win 18 games in the regular season, I believe that went back as far as 2018. Could have been 2019, I should have looked that up. But if he could do anything to this Yankee rotation, as we've seen, no Carlos Rodon, who's been just inactive throughout the first three months of the season. Nestor Cortez, who has been in and out of the lineup with hamstrings and all other sorts of injuries. And we've seen Garrett Cole be the rock, be the stud that he is. But if you're going to get anything from Herman here, and Severino's been up and down, but if Herman could be that steady, mainstay guy who could eat up innings, who could keep his team in games, then that's going to be a tremendous plus. And who knows if that's going to translate into October, but maybe he could be a fourth starter when it comes to a seven-game series or coming out of the bullpen. Maybe whether it's to relieve a pitcher who gets pulled early or a guy that you know you could trust that could put in those three, four, five innings to bridge to the latter part of the game, depending on how those playoff games go. But Herman, this has to be a shot in the arm for him, no pun intended, And let's see if he could build off of this. I'm sure the Yankees are hoping that's the case. We understand that he's had just a mishmash up and down, more down than up type of year, and even career for that matter. And who knows if this is going to either blow his head up to the point where he falls back into those bad habits and patterns, or this could be just the ultimate for him to give him the exact confidence that he needs to be a part of this rotation from now through the rest of the year and into October. So that's item number one here with baseball. The other item coming out of New York there yesterday, late afternoon, 
And I talked about this ad infinitum, it seems, when it comes to the Mets and it comes to ownership, Steve Cohen. And I brought this up about three, three and a half weeks ago when he mentioned that he wasn't going to do anything drastic or blow up the team or start firing managers, GMs, trading players, anything like that. And even though yesterday I posted this on my YouTube channel where who knew if this was going to be a thing where not to say Cohen was going to fly off the handle or that he was just going to go insane and just rattle off a bunch of, not going to go as far as saying obscenities, but just things where I'm sure the press would have just gobbled up, swallowed, and ran with it, somewhat Steinbrenner-esque, and hoping that maybe this would be, if not George Steinbrenner 2.0, but maybe even a George Steinbrenner light. We were all sadly mistaken because that press conference, not to say it was ho-hum or boring, but you didn't get any of what maybe some people would have thought that Steve Cohen just would have been angry, maybe to a certain extent bitter. Yes, he did voice his frustration, the disappointment in his team. He didn't expect his team to be, what was it, 36 and 43 at the time and underachieved the way they have all year long. But he did say that he was not a guy that was going to make moves just to make them He was showing a lot of patience up until this point and he's going to do that into the month of July. And yes, he's not happy whether he's going to be 16 and a half games back or 14 back or five back in the wild card as they're currently, I believe, what, eight and a half as of right this moment, maybe even nine for that matter. And he's going to take the temperature of his team at that time, whether it be the second week of July, the third after the All-Star break or certainly right up until the deadline as to whether or not this team is going to end up being buyers, sellers, or both. And of course you can't be both, but who knows? Maybe if there's a deal that they can't refuse where, let's say for instance, Max Scherzer, and I'll get to him in a minute, where he could be traded, but at the same time, maybe that trade could bring back pieces that they're definitely going to need, not only for the immediate future, but maybe even for the long run. Or even if there's a guy that they feel that they need to buy, and I'm not going to say Shohei Otani because his name's not going to be on there. And he's another person that I'm going to get into right after I talk about the Mets and Max Scherzer. But I would think that Cohen and the way he is taking his approach, not only to the media, but to the organization, not wanting to fire or go off on the GM Billy Epler or even the manager Buck Showalter saying that what good is that going to do? by making unnecessary moves just for the sake of doing it. He's not in the business to do that. And not only that, he wants to have continuity. He wants to have at least a semblance of camaraderie, semblance of stick that if things start to go awry or they start to falter, that he's not going to make anything in haste as far as decision-making goes. And he's taking, I feel, the right direction in doing that. Because as much as the fans want to bitch and moan and say, oh, Buck should be out. And, oh, Billy Epler, what did he do this offseason? And, yes, there is some argument in that. But he's going to play out the rest of this year, see where it goes. I understand that if the Mets are sellers and the ballpark is empty in late August into September, that it's not going to look good upon the owner. And he's going to frown upon that. And even made a mention about free agency, about how, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it is a crapshoot. It is expensive. It is an opportunity to build and hopefully restore your team, but it doesn't guarantee you success or obviously World Series appearances or championships. And he knows that. And that's the good thing 
with a new owner who's been around this team before. It's not as if a guy who knew nothing about the Mets or knew nothing about sports just came in here a la Matt Ishbia and is trying to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. And I kind of need to use that reference considering what recently took place there out in the Atlantic with that terrible tragedy. But you get where I'm coming from when it comes to a guy who came in here with all of his money, all of his bravado, all of his confidence in building this team in the next three to five years, and he's already into year three, and it looks like he's going to have two of those three years not in the postseason. And I understand that he wants to win more than anyone else. And he's interacting with the fan base, whether it's through Twitter, social media, etc. And he knows that he is the focal point when it comes to a 340 or an upwards of $360 million payroll that is all on him. And with the results that this team has gotten to this point, of course, yours truly and the rest of the fan base is disgusted. But I will say this. I love the tack that he's taking here. And if there's any other Met fans that think that, oh, come on, why is he taking the high road? Not that he's taking the high road, but... He should be out there trying to make trades, trying to do this, trying to do that. Nonsense. I think what he's doing is smart. He's a businessman for a reason. He's made his billions for a reason. And if you want to go back to the old saying, especially if you're an owner or GM, etc. If you're going to listen to the fans, pretty soon you're going to end up sitting with them. Meaning that if you're going to take every little nugget from a disgruntled fan base and hear every little complaint that's out there and actually act upon it. And of course he's the owner, so it's not as if he's going to be sitting with the fans if that's the case. But we all know that we cannot think that whatever he's going to or whatever we would hope for as a franchise to him to make that splash deal or that big decision to bring in a new manager or new GM, etc., that we want that instantly, it's not going to work. And he's not going to do it on his watch, at least not right this year. So I like that he's taken that approach and that he's not looking at it from a standpoint of, yes, I'm angry, we should be better, and I'm going to do whatever it takes whether I have to blow up the team or not. Because as we all know, George Steinbrenner would have done that. If you have a guy dropping a ball in right field, he's going to replace that guy the next day. Steve Cohen, he is not going to do that. And that is not just a good thing, that's a great thing. And with Max Scherzer... There's a report that's out there where he's willing to waive his no-trade clause to go to a contender. I don't know how true that is. I don't know if Max Scherzer has been quoted on that. I don't believe a microphone has been stuck in his face to confirm that. And I don't know if he will. I'm sure he's probably going to poo-poo that, thinking that, hey, I'm on the contract here. I understand we're in a hole, but we're going to try to work things out. Not that I'm speaking for Max Scherzer, but I would think that he would probably take the high road in this regard unless he's willing to be transparent to say, Hey, if this organization isn't going to go anywhere this year and they feel that by unloading my contract is going to alleviate whatever it is on their end to ship me to a contender, if he says that, then kudos to him. And if that's the case, don't let the door split your ass on the way out because how I look at it is Scherzer, he has not been as advertised. Yes, he's had its moments. Yes, he had a very good year last year, but when it really counts and when it really Money's on the line. He is not delivered for this team. And if that means he's going to go elsewhere and it's going to bring back maybe not a surplus of picks or I should say surplus of minor leaguers because again, he's going to be owed $43 million next year with a player option, I believe. And I'm sure that they can get back some ready-made talent 
whether that means day-to-day in the lineup as of right this moment or somewhere in double or triple A, that'd be great. But we'll have to wait and see on whether or not Scherzer did mean what he said and if that report is true about him waiving his no-trade clause to go elsewhere to see if he could try to be a mercenary for another team trying to get to a postseason and win a World Series. So that's what we got there with the Mets and who knows what's going to happen. They lost last night and they have their final game against Milwaukee today before... Who's coming in over the weekend? I should know this off the top of my head but this goes to show you how I feel about this Met team and it just has me downright disgusted and just... Sick and tired of watching this team. As a matter of fact, it's San Francisco that comes in this weekend. Yes, the Giants. So they come in for three and we know the Giants have been playing well. So who knows this season and this month of June, which has not been kind to the Mets. It's about to get a little bit more rude or ruder if there's such a word where the Brewers will finish up their series at City Field today before San Francisco comes in. And thankfully, mercifully, the month will come to a conclusion tomorrow evening. And then lastly, we have Shohei Otani to round out the baseball. And his exploits are on full display two nights ago, beating the White Sox, not only with his arm, but also with his bat, to where he hit two home runs, 28 on the year. What does he have? 64 RBIs. He's batting 300. We know his numbers are off the charts offensively. And then all he did was just strike out 10 in a win there, who's now 7-3 with an ERA, a smidge over 3 and is looking like a Cy Young finalist, although there are two other pitchers in the American League that will certainly stand up and argue whether or not they're the best pitcher this year. That's a one, Shane McClanahan down in Tampa, and then right here in the borough of the Bronx, Garrett Cole, and what he's done for the Bombers. But Otani, he is on a fast track, and I get it, we still have a half a season to go, but it looks like he's going to be the front runner to win an AL MVP, which he did so a couple of years ago. But then his Cy Young candidacy is also put to the test here because we've seen Cy Young award winners win MVPs. Justin Verlander, 2012. Clayton Kershaw, 2014. Also, I don't know if he won the Cy Young the year in 1984. He may have. Willie Hernandez. I know he won the MVP and he was a reliever on the Detroit Tigers. So it just goes to show what type of year he had in 1984. But we've seen that. But we have not seen... A pitcher win a Cy Young Award winner, but also become an AL MVP more so by his bat than his arm. And that is something that I would want to see as a baseball fan because although we can look at the history books and compare him to the Justin Verlanders or Roger Clemens, who also won, I believe in 86, he was also a Cy Young Award winner and I believe the AL MVP that year. And we can take a look at that, but if Otani does win, it's not going to be because of his arm. It's also going to be because of his bat. And yes, he's going to probably be in the top three when it's all said and done as far as the Cy Young goes, unless there's a dark horse that comes up the rear as we get deeper into the season. And I would think McClanahan and Cole, unless they get bombed here in the second half, you would think these are going to be the three guys that are going to represent as finalists for the Cy Young Award winner in the American League. But if Otani is able to achieve that, to do both, you have a historic season on your hands. And one that's going to be well-documented and well-ballyhooed from now until the end of time. And again, there's still half a season to go. I just bring that up on people's radars right now because the potential of this happening, him winning the AL MVP, barring injury or just a collapse, 
he's going to win the thing. And if he pitches anything close to being one of the top three in the American League, he's going to be not only a Cy Young Award candidate, but possibly could win the award overall. And the Angels, what also helps him is that they're in the middle of a playoff race where in the year he won the MVP, they were far from that. So as long as the Angels are relevant, and I think even if they were to taper off and let's say fall apart in August and then not be a part of the wildcard mix in September, he's still going to get his votes there for Cy Young. But if his team is still in it and relevant in September, especially if he's going out there with dominating pitching performances amongst the likes of McClanahan and Cole, he's going to have a shot to win that Cy Young award. And then what we're going to say about not only him as a player, both pitcher and batter, but could you imagine what the final number is going to be when he's a free agent here at the end of the year? We talked about that number starting with a five, and that's $500 million. That may end up starting off with a six when it's all said and done, if you could even fathom that. So Tani, he is showing his true colors here, and I don't know if it's because it's a walk year. Now, we've seen him pitch well in the past, and we've seen him hit and become an MVP, but boy, the timing and the hurricane that is Otani is gaining a lot of momentum, a lot of speed toward the end of this year of him not bringing in all the hardware, but all the ka-ching and the cash registers that you could ever imagine any athlete in any sport could ever cash in on based on this year. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. But as far as anything else since Monday, nothing really earth-shattering has gone on. I will say this, you have an interesting series that's going to take place this weekend in Atlanta between the Marlins and Braves. And as we all know, the Braves own the Marlins, and this is going back many years, maybe even decades for that matter. As a matter of fact, this year they played seven times and the Braves have won six games. And these games are in Atlanta. The Braves are streaking right now. They've won five in a row, but then give it up for the Marlins as they've also won four in a row, including two in Boston here, up in Fenway, The final game being tonight where the Red Sox and Marlins will play before Miami heads to the Dirty South and plays Atlanta for three down at Truist Park. But the Marlins, 47-34, and we talked about them on Monday and even in the past couple of weeks as a team that you have to give some legitimacy, at least as of right now, because think about this. If they were to come close to duplicating, or let's say for argument's sake, if they duplicate their first half record and they're currently at 81 games at 47 and 34, they're going to win 94 games this year. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I could see them still being in the race as we get into August and maybe even September, but you got to give it up for what they've done here in this first half. Nobody in their right frame of mind would have thought that they would have won 47 games and be on pace to come close to winning 95. And here they are, just five, excuse me, six and a half games back, seven in the loss. And listen, if they can win two out of three this weekend, that would be a huge boon for this organization. Now, if they lose two out of three in Atlanta, all right, that's probably what you would expect. And if you're a Marlin fan, the 35 of you that are out there, you would hope to at least get one game. Now, I understand that means nothing. You'd want to at least take two and really show that you belong in the discussion, not only when it comes to the wildcard race, but maybe even for an outside shot of the division. But that is going to be the one series that I will have my eyes on this weekend to see how the Marlins fare against the big bad Braves. And let's face it, the Braves are the best team in baseball. I know there's going to be a faction in Tampa going to say, hey, wait a second. 
We've been in front all year long. We have the best record. But we've seen the Braves win the World Series two years ago. And I understand that the Rays win the World Series in 2020 in the pandemic-shortened year. But they have not delivered in October. As we've seen here over the last few years. Whether that means losing in Boston in the division series there a couple of years ago. Whether that means last year they couldn't even get out of Cleveland in the wild card round. As they lost two games. They didn't even get to a third game. And yes, I understand having a big regular season, but as I said weeks ago, and I'll say it one more time, it seems as if the Rays are more built for 162 games than they are for a short series. And until it's proven otherwise, I'm going to stick with that. Now, they could have a big year this year, and maybe they'll have a big postseason. But we know Atlanta has won a World Series, and yes, they flopped last year, winning a division at the last week of the season, and then losing to the Phillies in four games, where they didn't even push it to a Game 5 in Atlanta. But we know that they've won a World Series. Tampa hasn't. So to me, pound for pound, I think the Braves have better talent and a better roster than Tampa, despite Tampa having the best record in baseball. And besides that, yeah, that's pretty much what I could wrap my arms around. I know the AL Central is just abominable. Now the Guardians are in first place by the slimmest of margins. Two in the loss, but a half game over the Minnesota Twins. And just so you know, the Guardians are in first place with a record of 39-40. and 40. And then the Twins are right behind them at 40-42. and 42. That's all you need to know about the AL Central. And then the NL Central isn't that better. Although you have teams that are over 500. Whether it's the Reds at 43-38. and 38, And the Brewers just a half game behind them. Equal in the loss but at 42-38. and 38, As we discuss the Central. And that's pretty much it with baseball. I'll get into a lot more of it on Monday. See how the weekend unfolds. With some of these series. I know the Yankees go to St. Louis. Which will bring back memories. I know they played there last year. The Yankees. But when you think back of the 64 World Series. For those who were around. And for the ones who love baseball like yours truly. How the Cardinals won in seven games. So there will be a lot of nostalgia. With two cornerstone franchises in the sport. Where the Yankees invade the Gateway City. But other than that. That's what I have there with baseball. Now let me turn my attention. And lace up the skates. Before I even get to the NBA and discuss some NHL here because last night you had the NHL draft where to no surprise, Connor Bedard, the number one prospect and possibly transcendent figure and maybe even the next face of the sport. Now it's tricky because you have a guy in Connor McDavid, another Connor, who plays in Edmonton, who just came off of winning another MVP back to back and third overall. And the thing is, it's not as if he's 31, 32, or in the twilight of his career, a la Alexander Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby. The kid is 26 years old. He's going to be around for at least, you would think, a good solid 8 to 10 more years. And granted that Bedard, he's barely 18. He can barely vote at this current moment, because I believe he turns 18 next month. But when you have a guy who's already at the top of the sport as the best player by far... And you have a young kid who a lot of people think could be that generational superstar and the face of the NHL. Well, that's going to be hard to upstart or upstage one Connor when you have a guy who is just short of a Stanley Cup to becoming an immortal player. That's right. I'm going to say immortal. Because if he's won three MVPs at the age of 26, chances are he could probably win two or three more before it's all said and done. And when you're talking about six MVPs overall, the closest you're going to get to that is Wayne Gretzky who had nine. So yes, he is that short from being that guy, that player. And can he push Mount Rushmore, McDavid? Still a little bit too early to tell, but I got news for you. 
if we're talking, or at least if I'm talking about Connor McDavid maybe even becoming one of the top four or five players in the history of the sport, how the hell is Connor Bedard going to come anything close to that as being a guy who is supposed to be that guy, and especially in the Windy City in Chicago, a town that knows a lot about championships, especially over the last dozen years or so, and to really be the guy to now take over the mantle for Jonathan Taze and the departed Patrick Kane and pretty much put that decade's Blackhawk team to rest and for him to be that guy that's going to now not only carry the mail for the franchise, organization, the city, but maybe even the league for that matter, that is going to be some tough shoes to fill, especially when you have a guy with his namesake that is already dominating the sport like we haven't seen in quite some time. So no pressure for Conor Bedard, none whatsoever as I'm sure it will be perfectly fine, and who knows if the question will be posed or already has been posed, knowing that he's coming into the league with a guy who has just been dominant since the second he stepped foot on ice, and here he is trying to even be compared to that. I know it's unfair, and I know it may, to a certain extent, not be right. But unfortunately, when we're talking about guys who could change the landscape of a league and a sport, to put them on that type of a level, whether your name is Victor Wembanyama or many years ago with Sidney Crosby, to a certain extent, Alex Ovechkin, because a lot of people knew more about Crosby than Ovechkin. You want to even go back to LeBron James. We could talk about all these prospects that have come through the pipeline. And we could sit here and discuss whether or not it's fair, unfair to put all this pressure and all this hype early on. To a certain extent it is, but you know what? If they're coming in this way, they have to live up to it. So Bedard gets drafted by the Blackhawks. And interestingly enough, last night, there were a couple of surprises. A lot of people thought that Adam Fantilli was going to be the second pick overall. And Anaheim, although they wanted to draft a center, but they chose Leo Carlson instead. And a lot of people thought that that was a bit of a shock, knowing that Carlson was a guy that has a lot of talent and belonged up in the top three or four when it comes to the draft this year. But many people thought Fantilli was going to be number two, locked in stone, and that's not the case. He actually goes to Columbus at number three. So that's going to be an interesting debate between those two cities on whether or not the Anaheim Mighty Ducks chose the right guy. And as we've seen in the past, the only way I can compare it to is where you have two quarterbacks at the top of the draft, a la Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. Did the Colts choose the right guy? Obviously they did. We know the career of Peyton Manning and then the Chargers drafting Ryan Leaf and we know the direction of his career and where that headed so not to compare these two guys to those aforementioned quarterbacks but again it's one that I'm sure both cities are going to monitor closely especially in Anaheim on whether or not Carlson is going to be not only the right guy but the right fit for their team and if Fantilli does have a Hall of Fame slash all-star type of career and Carlson falls short of that then you may have some grumblings, not to say that Anaheim is Toronto or a hockey hotbed, but you understand what I'm saying when it comes to that. And then one guy who was a wild card that a lot of people thought, as far as talent, ranked right below Connor Bedard when it comes to these draft boards, and the one Matvey Michkov, as he was drafted by the Flyers at number 7. So a guy that we've seen in previous pasts in other drafts where... Their stock may have fallen down. Now, I don't know if this is more of an attitude thing or if this is more of a situation where he's, I don't want to call him this because I don't know. I've never seen the kid play, whether he's lazy or has poor work habits. That I do not know. And we've seen a lot of players. The one that comes to mind is Alexei Kovalev. 
when he was drafted by the Rangers there in the early 90s, a guy with wondrous talent, stick handling capability, etc., but was one that you had to wonder whether or not between his ears and in his chest, did he have it? Now, he did win a Stanley Cup there for the Rangers in 94 and did go on to have a very good career, but that's the thing with this kid, Mitchkov. And I'm not trying to compare him to Kovalev, but if a lot of people thought that he could have been as high as number two and dropped down to number seven... And if he comes anything close to being a guy that could be the man, especially in Philadelphia, a team that's starving to win a Stanley Cup, which they haven't won in, what, 38 years, then kudos to him and kudos to the organization for taking a shot on this guy to see maybe if he could be the one that, when it's all said and done, would have been redrafted at number two overall over the likes of Fantilli, Leo Carlson, etc. And then you had some moves that were made. Earlier in the week, I know Taylor Hall was traded to Chicago from Boston, a guy who won an MVP in New Jersey and certainly hasn't come anywhere close to that ever since those days when he played with the Devils. So let's see if Hall could maybe even take a guy like Bedard under his wing. And for Chicago, as I said, complete makeover considering what they were the previous decade. I know Ryan Johansson goes to Colorado from Nashville. That was a big pickup for them as they've lost some pieces here over the last couple of years with them winning a cup and free agency, etc. So I'm sure a lot of wheeling and dealing tonight is actually rounds two through seven. So I would think you get a lot of trades here over the course of the next 24 hours or so. Timo Meyer, speaking of the Devils, he re-upped for an eight-year deal worth $8 million a year. And that was a guy that had gotten a trade in the middle of the season and he provides a lot of scoring punch. So the Devils wanted to make sure they kept their team intact after coming off of a great regular season and a come-from-behind series win against the Rangers. So let's see if they can build on that when we get closer, although it's still a ways to go, to the start of the next regular season. So I'm sure you're going to see a lot more of transactions and some rumors and things that will be bandied about here throughout the course of the next couple of days leading into NHL free agency, which we'll talk about more on Monday. But a couple other things I want to touch on. The schedule was released. And your opening night, which has a bunch of games, including Seattle going to Vegas as they'll raise their first banner up to the rafters there at T-Mobile Arena. We also have the Kraken and Vegas playing in the Winter Classic. I believe that's going to be played... I don't know if that's going to be in the Mariner Ballpark or in the... I don't even know what it's called. Lumen Field. I know it was Chase uh, Quest Field and whatever it was before that where the Seahawks play. So the Winter Classic is going to be there. You also have the Stadium Series here locally where the Devils and Flyers will play on February 17th and then the following day will be the Islanders and Rangers there on the 18th. So you have that to go on. And then the schedule where Thanksgiving, you're going to have 15 games, not on Thanksgiving, but the day after, which usually you have that NBC game or the ESPN-ABC Afternoon tilt, which is usually either in Boston or Philadelphia. And you do have Detroit at Boston and then the Rangers in Philadelphia. I believe that's your double header on that day. So you have a bunch of games the day after to look forward to. And remember, you also have the NFL having a Black Friday game, Miami against the New York Jets. So you have that also to chew on. And then the game on the 23rd of December is the first matchup between the Stanley Cup finalists. Vegas and Florida. I don't know where that game is played. I looked on the schedule and for whatever the reason, they don't have it as a home or away game. But that is the first matchup, whether it is in South Florida or in Sin City, that will be determined. And I failed to mention this the other day where the Hockey Hall of Fame inductees have been announced, which I believe will take place sometime in the latter part of the summer, maybe even into the early part of the fall. 
where we have a bunch of goaltenders that are actually going in to the Hockey Hall of Fame, where Henrik Lundqvist, no doubt about it, deserves to be first ballot Hall of Famer. Tom Barrasso, a guy who played for Buffalo and then also later on for the Pittsburgh Penguins, who was, I believe, the first successful American-born goaltender to play in the National Hockey League, and he's been long retired, but he's getting his day in the Hall of Fame, which maybe is borderline. I know he had some great years there with Buffalo and then later on, but is he a Hall of Famer? Obviously, it took him a long time to get here. Same for Mike Vernon, who had been on a bunch of cup teams, Calgary, Detroit, and was the backbone and the goalkeeper for those Red Wing and Calgary Flames teams. You also have Pierre Turgeon, a guy who I know well being an Islander, but he also came up through the ranks in Buffalo and bounced around there, whether it was the Islanders, later on with St. Louis, and had a very good career, very good player, finesse player, centerman, and he gets his day in the hole. Ken Hitchcock won a Stanley Cup in the 99 Dallas Stars, but he also coached a million other teams. And you have a couple others, whether it's the late Pierre Lacroix, the architect of those two Stanley Cup teams in Colorado. Caroline Ouellette was a women's hockey player who also gets enshrined. And like I said, Lundquist Automatic, Barrasso Vernon, I would say borderline, but they made it. You know I'm a hard marker when it comes to this. Turgeon was a very good player, and he maybe is deserving to go. Average more than a point per game. I forgot what his final tally was. I believe it was close to 500 goals, and 500 goals is similar to the 500 home run mark in baseball. So this is a worthy crop, I would think, to make it into the Hall of Fame. So they'll get their day, as I mentioned, later on this year. And we'll see what happens here with the hockey over the course of the next couple of days leading into free agency, as I mentioned. So you know that I'll keep the fingers on the pulse for that. And that will lead me to the NBA, where you'll hear all of the rumblings and a lot of the rumors and all of the reports that will come out, I would think, as early as tomorrow on the following players. You would think, in no given order, James Harden, Draymond Green, Kyrie Irving, Chris Middleton, D'Angelo Russell, to a lesser extent, Kyle Kuzma, Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, Bruce Brown because he won a championship there with Denver, Russell Westbrook, I did mention D'Angelo Russell, those will be some of the other players that will be front and center here over the course of the next, I would think, 24 to, you would say, 96 hours once leading into the 4th of July week, and As we know, we already had a trade with John Collins going to Utah for Rudy Gay, which opened up $25 million of a trade exception for Atlanta. So let's see what that's going to do for the Hawks as they try to retool and see if they could bring in somebody as, I'm not going to say a missing piece, but a team that made it to the playoffs, went to a sixth game against the Celtics in the first round before losing. You had Nikola Vucevic re-up with the Bulls, three years, $60 million. But the aforementioned players are the ones that are going to be the focal point here over the course of the next few days. Does James Harden stay in Philadelphia? I don't know. Daryl Morey, we understand that he and Harden are tied going back to their days in Houston. Does Harden want to revisit playing with the Rockets again and maybe be the man for a young up-and-coming team that is still a few years away? Draymond, who I think is going to go back to Golden State with this trade, for Chris Paul with Jordan Poole going the other way. So I could see them. I don't know if it's going to be a sweetheart deal, whether that means a hometown discount or someone along the lines of a two- to three-year deal as opposed to a four-year deal. So we'll have to wait and see there. But I think Draymond will resign there 
by the Bay. Kyrie, that's the wild card when you think about all this because I'm sure a lot of the talk is going to be tied with he and LeBron in LA. But do Rob Palenka and company want to go in that direction to see whether or not they could get one last gasp between the two dating back to their days in Cleveland when they won a championship seven years ago? You have that, but who knows what's going to happen there with Kyrie. Is there a wild card team that could be in the mix to see if they could come in and swoop Kyrie off their feet and maybe plug him into a, maybe not championship formula, but at least a sustained postseason trip where I don't know if he's going to go back to Dallas to team up with Luka again. Who knows? There hasn't been a lot of scuttlebutt surrounding Kyrie. Russell Westbrook in his last go-around, he's not going to get the big payday, but who knows with a lesser role and him having to learn on the fly this past year, whether it was in LA for the Lakers and then later on with the Clippers, is that something that he's going to warm up to? D'Angelo Russell, he's probably going to get paid, but we all know he may not be worth the big dollars that he's probably going to command. And then the lesser degree, like I mentioned, Kyle Kuzma, as Washington is doing a complete makeover there in the nation's capital. Fred Van Vliet, the same in Toronto, as he's probably going to not only look for greener pastures, but I'm sure a team that's going to be ready to win. Bruce Brown, Brooke Lopez, these are guys that have won championships as they look to bring their experience to another city, another team, etc. And your guess is as good as mine when it comes to any of these players and where they're going to go. And I'm sure a lot of them are going to surround Kyrie, James Harden, and I would think Draymond Green. All the other players there, although they're going to get a lot of attention, but certainly not the fanfare and the hoopla of the previous three guys. And Middleton's another guy where won a championship, does become a big part of a team. Now, how healthy he is, that's the $64,000 question. As we know, he's been injury-riddled here these last couple of years, ever since they won the title in Milwaukee two years ago. So what he's going to command, and then also what he's going to be able to bring to the table, we know that he's played in big games and can deliver, but will his body withstand the 82-game rigor and into the postseason? That remains to be seen. So you know that I'll keep my eyes peeled for this. I'm sure we'll have a lot to discuss there on Monday as to which players are going to go or maybe even be rumored to go or is there going to be trade in the mix, whether that's Paul George, who knows. And I'm not just throwing his name out there just for the sake of it, but there has been talk maybe that Paul George could be part of a deal. That obviously remains to be seen, but as of right this second, the NBA, very quiet, but you know is going to pick up here, especially tomorrow because you have that period before July 1st where the tampering isn't involved, that the violations get lifted. So I'm sure you're going to hear quite a bit come through the wire tomorrow on where these players are going to be heading prior to the July 1st free agency period. So between the NBA and NHL, you know I'm going to be on top of that. And then you have the football to close us out where you're going to have some players, I would think in the next 24 hours or so, that are going to face suspensions here due to gambling on their parts. And the first player is Isaiah Rogers of the Colts. They're probably going to look at, I would think, minimum eight games or maybe even a year, depending on what they gambled on. If they gambled on their team, if they gambled on football, which is what the agreement is and the policy is when it comes to gambling. If you recall, there were a couple of players earlier this offseason that only got, I believe it was a six-game ban because I believe they did not bet on their team or football, but I believe they were tied into, I don't know if it was March Madness or another sport, but... 
we'll have to wait and see which players are going to be put on the griddle here and be suspended, whether that be for part of a season, half a season, or a complete season, as we saw earlier on this offseason. And all I got to say about this, and I get it, it does come across as hypocritical of the league. And granted, these rules, I'm sure, were in place long before the DraftKings and the fan duels of the world and a lot of these other betting houses that have come and proliferated not only just the NFL, but the entire sports landscape. But even with that being said, I know it's tough for the NFL to look like hypocrites because they're in bed with these gambling houses. And knowing that the average guy like yours truly, who does not gamble at all and has nothing to do with fantasy football, that's right, if you're a first-timer or recent to the podcast, as much as I love, breathe, eat, Sleep, sports, I do not gamble one bit. Not one. I don't even put $10 on a Super Bowl box. I've done it in the past, full transparency, and yes, I have done pools and things of that nature, but not to the point where week after week, day after day, game after game, that I have to see, oh, wait, can I put a prop bet? Or yes, because this quarterback is hurt, I'm going to pick them plus 10 against the Chicago Bears or whatever it may be. So with all that being said, the average guy, yes, the NFL wants that person to go ahead and bet the ranch, bet the house, bet the farm, etc. But if there's any player that wants to put up a bet on another team or have their own fantasy league or whatever it is, uh uh-uh, you're going to get suspended, not just for four games or six games, in all likelihood you're going to get the entire season, which to me, that contradicts everything to what the NFL stands for. And you got to remember For the longest time, even going back, now this is decades, with Jimmy the Greek, NFL Today, where they were just shivering in their boots, knowing that here's Jimmy the Greek talking about point spreads and talking about injury updates and injury reports, and I would stay away from this team or that game or whatever, where the NFL wanted no connection with that. And even to a much lesser degree, they don't want that now. But yes, we want to be tied in with all the DraftKings and all these other places to where that's only going to put more money in the NFL's pockets as if it isn't already fat to begin with. And one of the reasons why I'm disgusted with the league, but of course I can't divorce myself from the NFL because I've been watching the NFL since the mid-70s. So with all that being said, I know I went off on a tangent and a rant, etc. But more players are going to come down the pike. I would think maybe in the next... 24 to 48 hours tops. So we'll see who is going to be at the forefront of a suspension here as the NFL continues to crack down on players gambling, especially on their sport. In other news, you have Lloyd Howell, who has been appointed the successor to Demora Smith as the new executive director of the Players Union. And that is no secret, considering everything that has transpired here over the last couple of years dealing with the pandemic and coming out of that and knowing that DeMora Smith looked like he was going to be in his final days. Well, now you have Lloyd Howell. Uh, I would have known him from Adam, but he is going to be your next guy that will be the head of the players moving forward. And I guess that would take into effect, if it hasn't been right now, I'm sure at some point before the start of the NFL season. So you have that to... Look forward to if there's going to be any strife between the players and owners. He's going to be the guy, the figurehead of the Players Association. And then in very sad news, you had Ryan Mallett, who had died swimming off the coast of the 
Gulf of Mexico there in the panhandle as he was being pulled out of the water he wasn't breathing was unresponsive and then taken to a local hospital before he was pronounced dead at the age of 35 now he played at Arkansas was at Michigan before he transferred drafted by the New England Patriots had a cup of coffee there before going on to Houston and Baltimore in a very short career seven years did not really get a lot of length although seven years hey it's a long time but didn't really play a lot did suit up for the Texans and did have his moment or two in the NFL but sadly thoughts prayers and condolences go out to the Mallet family and just very tragic uh to just to see him expire in that fashion at just an early age just a terrible story there that I of course unfortunately have to close out the podcast with so one more time thoughts prayers to the Mallet family and the entire NFL and that'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. Also, Monday, we'll talk about Wimbledon. Carlos Alcaraz is your number one seed, and that comes as a bit of a surprise considering Novak Djokovic on the heels of winning the French Open just a couple of weeks ago. But the good thing is, if there is a plus, you're not going to see them in a quarterfinal or a semifinal if it's chalk. You have Alcaraz one and Novak Djokovic two, so you're going to have them at both sides or opposite ends of the draw. So if they do face off, it's going to be in a Wimbledon final, which we hope will be in about, what, three weeks this coming Sunday. But with that being said, another episode in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for carving out time of your busy schedule to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, you could do so at the following. On YouTube, at JReels, which I post daily. And posted earlier today on some stuff and will continue to do so. I also post on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. But I've channeled a lot of my attention to YouTube as I really want to grow that platform as big as I possibly can. But you can see a lot of those similar posts on those other aforementioned social media sites. So you can follow me there. Hit me up with a DM with a question, comment, suggestion. Also on Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. Send me an email at thejreelspodcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And speaking of platforms that I've certainly neglected, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy, dot com slash thejreelspodcast. Whatever you want to put forth goes 100% to the upkeep of the website, the equipment, this entire production to make this experience into this microphone through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers that much more enjoyable, pleasurable, informative, entertaining, because whether you do or do not know, This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. I've been talking about sports since birth. As I mentioned earlier, eat, drink, sleep, breathe, the whole nine. Sharing my fire, passion, energy with my thoughts, feelings, opinions, analysis, critique, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.